This episode is brought to you by AudioQuest, makers of the Dragonfly range of USB DACs. Click to audioquest.com for more information. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Darko Audio Podcast. This time out, we're talking about hi-fi shows, and I am talking once again to Michael Lavonia, who I don't care what anybody says, he does not live in a basement, he lives in a barn. <laughs> it's a barn, people. I promise you it's a barn. It's not a basement. So welcome, Michael. <laughs> ah, good to be here. Yes, thanks for clarifying that. There's been some confusion about exactly where I live. Right, because I can't on- imagine how that happened. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine why that happened, but um, I believe you bumped into some people at the recent Expona event who were, you know, saying it was good to see that you're outside of the basement, which I think is wholly, wholly unfair that they said that because everyone knows that you live in a barn. Yeah, exactly. And not just any basement. Uh, they somehow got the impression I lived in my mother's basement. Outrageous. It's an outrageous yeah. slur. I won't have it. I won't have it. <laughs> uh, these vicious rumors, you know. Vicious rumors, that's what they are. Anyway, so yeah. today we're talking about hi-fi shows, one past, one forthcoming, and I guess we should explain, I mean, you recently went to something called Expona, which took place in Chicago. We should explain to people who have never been to a hi-fi show what that actually looks like. Like, mm. can, Do you have a good way of explaining it, Michael? <laughs> um, let me, I'll, I'll try. I mean, essentially, most, most hi-fi shows certainly... Um, every hi-fi show in the U.S. these days takes place in a hotel, a large mm-hmm. hotel. Mm-hmm. And exhibitors consist of hi-fi manufacturers, uh, hi-fi dealers, and they each uh, take up an entire hotel room. Some, In some cases, they take multiple rooms where they have uh, systems on active display, mostly on active display. Mm. So you can go from room to room and hear different systems i think it's fair to point out though that obviously most of the furniture including the bed has been removed from that room so it's a kind of it's kind of a big deal for the hotel because they have to strip all the furniture out so there is space for people to um sit in front of a hi-fi system in a i mean how how big are the i mean i know that there are suites and there are these sort of larger conference rooms but generally typical hotel room at expona at the what's it called the renaissance schaumburg hotel is that right yeah, how big are the rooms there? The majority of them, I would I would say, are are, are mid sized, mm-hmm. um, in, in relative to to the rooms at that place. But large large rooms for a hotel room. The mm. smallest rooms, unfortunately, were really pretty tiny. I mean, I you know I, I'm bad at figuring dimensions, but I would say, um, you know, fifteen feet wide, mm-hmm. maybe. And 20 foot long, maybe, with a knockout for the uh, uh, washroom. Mm-hmm. So, you know, re- you need 15 feet. And then there, typically there's a headboard mounted to the wall. So that comes out a bit. So, you know, the space gets fairly narrow pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the smallest room. And then the next size up adds a bunch of feet to that width. Um, so it's a comfortable size. And then... They go all the way up to, you know, enormous size, uh, really almost the conference rooms, ballrooms, like where you'd have a wedding reception. 
right. those of us. Yeah. That, yeah. You know, so it does run the gamut. Um, and, and of course, you know, the smaller the room, uh, the more difficult it is to get good sound. Right. And how would you describe, this is always a spicy one, isn't it? How would you describe the demographic of attendees? Well, yeah. Um, Expona was uh, on the more diverse side of the spectrum Mm. uh, in that, uh, you know, it wasn't weighted toward a particular demographic, at least the way I saw it. Mm. That's what what I mean. And I'm speaking mainly of age. Mm. (laughs) So, you know, it's certainly the case that the majority of attendees are male Mm -hmm. uh, at these, at these U S shows. And I've been to shows where it definitely skews toward uh, 50 and over. Mm. Uh, But at Expona, I really did see a lot of people who were, you know, uh, let's uh, younger than that. (laughs) Right. So young people, you know, in their in their thirties, and but no, I'm serious. It was it it seemed to me to be a more balanced uh, crowd that way mm, in okay. terms of age. Yeah, yeah. Because I was talking to one of my patrons a couple of months ago, and he was like, "I'm going to Axpona. It's my first hi-fi show." And I said to him, "Look, you got to brace yourself. You got to be ready for what you're going to see." And so I said to him, "Look, you are going to basically the majority of people there are going to be dudes who are fifty plus." Yeah. And he came back yeah. to me afterwards like, yeah, you weren't kidding, were you? I was like, no, I was not. So I know that there's always, you know, it's a smattering of younger folk, <laughs> which all yeah, automatically those. makes me sound old by saying that, right? Those young'uns, <laughs> those whippersnappers, <laughs> they get about a bit, don't they? But, you know. Yeah, maybe. You know, the thing about that uh, perception of age, certainly the older I get, the younger everyone else looks. So I look at the the visitor stats on my website and especially YouTube. Mm. And I always thought that it would skew. Well, the, the website does skew a little bit more heavily towards, shall we say, middle-aged men, but mm-hmm. you, you, but YouTube, not at all. There's a really good normal distribution with the median around maybe 40, 42, but mm-hmm. there's a, you know, like a good 30% of viewers are under 40, which yeah. is not the case at a hi-fi show. I don't think. Yeah, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say so. I'm, but it's. I guess we'll get there. Uh, but it seems it seems to me that this um, that demographics shift a bit from show to show. Mm-hmm. Certainly, um, you know, with shows I've been to overseas, the demographic shifts a little bit. And then smaller shows. Um, I did go prior to Expona. Uh, months ago to the Capital Audio Fest in Rockville, mm. Maryland. And that show, it's a small show. Um, and that, uh, I guess I would say that more couples come to that show for some reason. It, mm-hmm. From my, again, this is just my perspective on it, mm. but I didn't take any kind of uh, metrics. Uh, more couples, but still skewing to the uh, middle-aged on up. Mm. Can I ask you a, a more, what's the word, challenging question about hi-fi shows? And I know we've covered this before, and I know you know what I think about this, but I'm going to ask it um, because I think it's an important issue that comes up around shows, is that are they places to audition hi-fi gear? And not in, uh, 
not in any uh final way mm. um you know they work it's it's almost like a uh i guess if i'm 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 fishing for an analogy so if i you know if 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 i was in the dating world it's akin to going to a bar mm. uh you know with friends and and just talking to different people Right. Right. And then you leave and you go, oh, you know, I had a conversation with so-and-so. That was kind of interesting. I'd like to see that person again, I, you mm. know, on and on. It's an introduction. You know, a hi-fi show is really, it's an introduction. There's so many unknown variables or unfamiliar variables that it makes zeroing in on any particular component or speaker at, and, and its performance nearly you know, impossible. So you're, you're hearing systems in unfamiliar rooms, typically with unfamiliar music. So at best, you know, you, something might uh, spark interest for further um, mm. exploration. Because I was thinking about this a lot last week and I actually went to my local hi-fi store to buy an amplifier and I knew what I wanted to buy. Oh. I didn't need to audition it. But if if I did want to audition it, they would be accommodating and they would set it up for me with a, you know, a price appropriate pair of speakers. And then mm. here's the key. Here's the key that you don't get at a hi-fi show. They would have swapped that amplifier out for a, another similarly priced model. So I could do an AB comparison to see if I actually like the other one more in terms of sound. So it's that swapping the gear out that you get at a dealer that you don't get at a hi-fi show. Yes. Ab yeah, Absolutely. I mean, I'm not trying to, I, I guess it's just because I see a lot of people write to me and say, well, there's no more dealers where I live. So I have to treat the nearest hi-fi show as an audition. And I'm thinking, but just because you want it to be an audition doesn't actually make it an audition, right? It's just, mm. I think there's a little bit of self-delusion in play there. And I think, yeah, it's tough. You can't go to a dealer because there isn't one in your town. And maybe you have to, you know, make a weekend of it and travel to another town and do it that way, which is annoying, but at least you get the, the AB swap. You don't get at a hi-fi show. So, Yeah, also, yeah, and uh, and two other elements. Certainly one that was in play at Exponent, I think largely due to the fact that this was the first large hi-fi show uh, since COVID, so two years. The last Exponent was 2019. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of chatting going on, and I admit I, I was as guilty as the next person because I was seeing people I haven't seen in two or three years. Absolutely. I think that's a great you know, facet of hi-fi shows. I, I Personally, I wish there was more chatting going on because the interaction yeah. is what really – I'm not, I'm not just talking about like friends. Yeah, like well, it's not just about friends I haven't seen for a long time, although that is a factor. But you learn a lot from talking to people. And it's very difficult sometimes to do that without somebody shushing you because you're chatting outside their room and they're trying to play music. And it's, it's sort of it, almost like it falls between two stools. So the real part of the show, mm. as many people will attest, it goes on in the bar, in the lobby, right? Because yeah. you, you get to really nut out subjects with experts because there are a lot of manufacturers there, a lot of designers, not always, but you know, there's a healthy proportion, and also yes. press members or dealers who have been in the game a long time and seen a lot of things come and go and come back again and you get to sort of plug them with questions i think for me that's invaluable yeah totally invaluable I, I, yeah. yeah i agree you know five ten minutes with uh the designer or 
or the uh, the representative for the gear um, is, uh, I don't know, it's it's worth, you know, 30 reviews or something or more. I mean, this is like real information. And to, to talk to people face to face is such, you know, I have to say, again, it's been so long. It's such a huge luxury, it seemed, mm. you know, and actually speak to people face to face, you know, and read body language and, and get, you know, subtle innuendo and all these things that make in-person communication so rich uh you know it's just mm. it was i i really had just a wonderful time at the show for that reason and i have to add that uh you know perhaps it was just because i was so uh sort of hungry for this experience i i really enjoyed a number of rooms like i i entered a bunch of rooms uh, that I thought sounded just wonderful. And mm. that's odd for me anyway. I mean, usually I just, tr I almost try to ignore the, the sound and get it, <laughs> you know, right. because it's typically, you know, um, not worth diving into uh, in a big way at a show because mm. it's, it's compromised. It can be compromised sound, but anyway. Well, so we should, should we talk about some of the rooms that you really liked and some of the gear that you saw that you, was really interesting to you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, I would. I'll start with uh, the new uh, Vinny Rossi was showing his new Abrama integrated amplifier, mm -hmm. and this has been I don't know how many years in the making. Excuse me. There's a the Brahma is, is a line of products. The integrated mm -hmm. amplifier was on active display at Expona, um, and just a very very bird's eye view. Uh, the integrated amplifier has a 300B vacuum tube. You know, the 300B is a triode tube based mm -hmm. line stage. And that hands off the signal to a high current class AB MOSFET output stage. Mm -hmm. So it's a hybrid. Um, but it's so much more, and I'm not going to delve into that. But uh, this product, you know, Vinny hired a real industrial designer to work with and not just to slap a faceplate on. Yeah. On, uh, you know, I, uh, for my taste, I think it's a, it's a very attractive looking piece of gear. Um, and even much more so up close and personal. Um, and the price of the Brahma integrated is $38,995. Yeah, and so it's, it's an expensive piece, right? But I guess going to Expona, you really get to see what it looks like and feels like. Because I know, I mean, I've seen loads of press shots and I've even seen the, the photos that Jana sent me for my mm. own Expona coverage. But even then I, was, I wasn't too, you know, I guess being there, you could, literally reach reach out and touch it and then i know the remote control is a bit fancy and just the oh, dials look, look exquisite right so i think the whole thing is exquisitely made from what i gather it is yeah yeah, yeah. i was able to get a shot of uh of the inside and mm -hmm. the inside looks more impressive than most outsides <laughs> right yeah yeah no and it everything those it has two uh meters on the front backlit meters and mm. um which can tell you a bunch of different uh information that you mm -hmm. access through that remote um but those everything about those meters down to the uh the dials 
the uh, the thing you know the stem the dials are mounted to each of those parts were hand selected by Vinny and put together. Huh. You know this is like um, I don't know the I don't want to use the wrong word but you know there's nothing um, all, uh, or, or there's very few off the shelf things about this amplifier if I can put it that way. Right. Right. I mean the remote has an accelerom uh, acceler Rometer. Yeah. Easy for you to say. (laughs) (laughs) I hurt myself. (laughs) Anyway, so it wakes up. It also, the remote can give you, um, it's got a, it's got a screen on it, the remote. Mm. Um, It could give you uh, operating conditions, internal temperature, on and on and on and on. I mean, it's a very, you know, it's a very uh, mature product. Mm. Um, Anyway. It's a lucky Sorry, I was about to say it's a luxury product through and through, right? And yes, it's, it's expensive, but it's a luxury out and out, like no, I guess, no holds barred. Would you say that? I don't know whether that's another cliche. It probably is. Well, I yeah, I mean, I, yes, I agree. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think this is, this is, it's, you know, certainly a flagship product. And of course, the separates, which were not there, um, but and i'm not sure i think they may, they may still be um uh coming you know mm-hmm. anyway of course they'll be more costly if you go the separate route but you know back to this general theme about what you know what what is a hi-fi show and you know it's it's i'd say the norm that exhibitors tend to show uh their higher priced uh gear it's not always the case, you know, but if a line, uh, you know, if a, if a line consists of, you know, a bunch of products, typically exhibitors will pick either the top of the line or very near the top of the line to show off at a hi-fi show, mm-hmm. I, you know, which, you know, put your best foot forward kind of thing. It makes perfect sense to me. Um, yeah, totally. Yeah. So, I mean, the fit, so... And I, and I, a number, you will soon see a number of the rooms I'm going to talk about have, uh, had extremely expensive gear in them, you know, and this, um, you know, the, even this, even, even this, just uh, talking about very expensive gear or covering very expensive gear, you know, some people, I mean, really do take offense to, um, just the fact that this stuff is out there. And I don't. And that's just the way it goes. No, I don't I mean, either. Yeah. I mean, I I think actually when I first wrote about Vinny's new Brahma range, I made mm. the point there's I I can't I can't I'm not a car person, right? But I was I was talking about a BMW car that cost a hundred grand. Mm. Now, I can't afford that car, but I couldn't give a shit whether it exists or not. Like if somebody can afford it, good for them. And they they see value in it and they they enjoy it. I'm actually pleased for them. Because it makes them happy. They're doing what they want with their money. But yeah. I, I, mm. I, I've got to say, like, I'm going to go out on a bit of a limb here. I, I think if you're offended by something you cannot afford or you would not choose to buy, I think you've got an, a maturity issue. You're immature. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, you're a bit of a man child because there are, there are loads of things. Like there's, I mean, all I have to do is drive across to the other side of Berlin to see multi-million dollar houses. Yeah. Do I, do I drive down the road with the window down screaming, rip off, snake oil? Because, <laughs> you know, I could do that, right? Now, 
I, I guess everybody has their limit, right? And this is the thing. Everybody has their limit. And that mm. is personal to you. So, yeah, your limit may be 500 euros, and that's fine. You know, that may be your threshold for what you tolerate as affordable or reasonable for a piece of hi-fi gear. But not everybody is you. Anyway, so what's what's um so what other wonderfully expensive piece of gear did you, did you see next? Uh, yeah, so, um, Cabas is that? The, uh, I think that's the way it's pronounced. Cabas. It's a French Cabas, company. Yeah, yeah, yeah a speaker manufacturer, and they've been around forever. I should mm-hmm. really know, um, but f- let me see. Did I make note of that? Nineteen fifty. Wow, they were founded okay. in nineteen. Really. I didn't know that. I thought they were like maybe last 30 years, something like that, but no, okay. Yeah, no, it's crazy, right? Yeah, some mm. of these, yeah, there's more of that to come. But so they were, sh- uh, so I need to start at the beginning. Uh, I guess they were without US distribution for a while. Mm, so okay. uh, upscale distribution is now has now taken on the line. Mm-hmm. And in one room, they had the Pearl, it's the Kavas Pearl Pellegrina, and these are wireless active loudspeakers. And they look like, I'll make the simplest analogy, they look like a giant eyeball. They're a spherical shape mm-hmm. speaker. Um, and again, fully active. That mm. So uh, fully active, they include a DAC, but I think of greater importance is they have DSP and room correction. Mm-hmm. And I say of greater importance, uh, so I'll, I'm kind of jumping, but so the largest driver, this is a, 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 each speaker houses four drivers. The mm-hmm. largest drivers, a 12 inch woofer. Um, and those drivers are driven by 3,700 watts of power. And those, wow. the amplifiers are digital amps that are located in the base of the unit. Mm. Uh, f- uh, frequent frequency response is well below 20 hertz. I didn't make note. Well really? below. I wouldn't be surprised if it was 15. Yeah. Yeah, right. You know, because again, you know, DSP, and you go, oh, from a 12-inch, yeah, but DSP, right, can pull more uh, performance out of out of drivers. And also, what they were not in a super large room. They were in one of the, I would say, middle-sized rooms. Mm-hmm. Uh, however... When I was in there, they were playing music at a very, like almost near live volumes at times with real bass energy dipping well below 20 hertz. And there was not even a hint of overload or, uh, and, and bass, like they played a James Blake track. I forget the title. It's something, you know, it's, that's. It's called Limit to Your Love. Yeah. And I, which I've heard any number of times at hi-fi shows typically when people want to show off bass response. And this was some of the, the, the most, uh, fully resolved, uh, bass information, uh, you know, sub 20 Hertz, mm-hmm. uh, that I've heard. Hmm. I was just so impressed and they didn't at all, but the, the music itself, um, was very compelling. And again, not overloading that room at all, no room treatments, just using you know their internal uh dsp and room correction you know we're there the room correction essentially um you know uh, the microphone is mount is in the speaker itself so i we, we i didn't see a demo of the process but i'd assume they play test signals and the speaker corrects right for for mm-hmm. the in-room response but anyway yes. i was super impressed super impressed and i actually don't uh, 
you know, the look doesn't bother me. I actually think they, they come with, with an integrated stand. Uh, mm. You know, they, they're certainly, they have their own look. And those are uh, just under 30,000 a pair, mm. you know, which is a big number. But again, it's everything. It's basically, you know, plug, plug in and play since it has a DAC. And- yeah, I think um, hi-fi shows like this are excellent spaces to demonstrate the effective- effectiveness of room compensation software like Mm. that built into that speaker because you can turn it off, turn it on again, and people can really hear what it does for that room. And then they think, well, if it does it for this hotel room, imagine what it would do for my listening space, which is obviously not always a fully treated, large listening room, you know, just dedicated to music. It's a living room shared with family most of the time. So I think it's, yeah, it's good that they, they can do those sorts of things now. This DSP is, just it's so it's becoming so wonderful in so many respects certainly in my life anyway but yeah I, I mean we're all listening to dsp'd bluetooth headphones pretty much all of them are dsp'd not every single pair but hmm. um and as you said before even if you've got a fairly average driver in a fairly average enclosure you can juice so much from hmm. those sort of average components and cabinets than you can you could ever do in the passive domain just couldn't do it. I was talking to a speaker engineer yesterday who said essentially the same thing. So, mm. yeah, sorry. I mean, 30 grand for a pair. Yeah, with every, it's yeah. the whole system. It looks cool. I think they look great. I, yeah. I really do. But yeah. I know they're not everybody's taste. Right. Well, that's the thing. I mean, when people push the, you know, toward the edges of, of real design, it's they're going to be divisive, right? I mean, the plainer something looks, the less objection you take to it. The more extreme something looks, then you'll you know you'll find a more um, polarized opinion of them. Yeah. So yes, whatever. Yes. But yeah, no, I'm totally on board with these. Uh, I was just very impressed in every way. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. So another room that really grabbed my attention. Uh, is it was one of the larger rooms at the show, um, and the speakers were the, the Stenheim. That's a Swiss company, Stenheim mm-hmm. Reference Ultimate Two, mm-hmm. and those speakers are large floor standers, and they are one hundred fifty-three thousand a pair. Wow. Okay. And they were driven by a buy-in pair of VTL S400 reference stereo amplifiers, Series 2. And those are 37500 each. Okay. Uh, to finish out the system, uh, they were using the Wadax Atlantic Reference Server, which is 59000 mm. The Wadax Atlantic Reference DAC, which is 145000 And then... Hang on. So I want to ask you, is that the DAC that we were – somebody? remember we were, we were in Munich a couple of years ago. It was 2019. And somebody said, have you seen that $100,000 DAC? Yes. yes I, and we're like, what? <laughs> like, no way. So yes. we, went, we, we tried off to that room to, just, to, just to look at – I think it was 100,000 euros or something like 120,000 euros just to see what a $100,000 DAC might look like, right? And now it's yes. popped up again in Chicago. But I think yes. it's – is it 145 grand, right? 145,000 for the DAC. Right. Yeah, 59 for the server. And then to connect them, Wadax also makes an optical, they call it the Akasa optical system. Mm. Um, I've seen these cables. They're optical cables that are uh, 
boa constrictor size. Anyway, that that optical system is seventeen thousand and change. So mm-hmm. you know, you're looking at a two hundred thousand uh, dollar roughly digital. Yeah, I mean front that's end. A, but, a serious so, front end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so a, a few things I will say. First off, again, a large, very large room. Uh, they were also playing uh, music at high volumes. And uh, Luke Manley of VTL played a John Zorn record. I, I, he gave me a choice between a few records, and I saw John Zorn's name, and Luke described it as really strange. So I was like, that's it. That's the winner. <laughs> that's <laughs> then, your bag, right? Yeah, really. Um, and it it was just um, – it was just an impressive system. It sounded very life-like, live, life-like, which is, in my mm. experience, uh, hard to pull off, especially in a large room. It, it was just this, uh, super dynamic, super um, energized sound uh, without any negatives that I could hear. I mean, I just, again, just super impressed. And I, I mm. you know, I, and that's the thing about shows and show coverage. And I would think as an intent, as an attendee, I mean, I'm, I go from room to room to experience what's in the room. And if I'm impressed, yeah, I'm impressed regardless mm. of price, <laughs> you know, I mean, right. you could say, well, for that money, it better be good. Well, it's yep. not, a, mm, but you <clears throat> know, well, I wouldn't not- argue that point, but yeah. Yeah, but again, it depends upon your own, well, number one, your personal, your, your disposable income. And then yes. also how you choose to spend that disposable income. So if you're a foodie, you might choose to spend a lot of your money going out to eat in restaurants, right? Yeah. And But you might, you might be into hi-fi a little bit, and you might spend a few grand on a system, and then you might take the attitude, well, that thing's a ripoff because it, it sells for more than I'm personally with my individual level of income and disposable income that I choose to put into hi-fi. It's beyond me, right? But it doesn't mean mm. it's beyond everybody. I mean, I guess my general attitude towards things that I can't afford or wouldn't afford or would choose not to spend my money on is I ignore them. They are invisible to me. (laughs) I see them and I go, eh, and move on, right? I don't stand there and (laughs) insist on making the point about how anybody who buys this is an idiot. Not at all. No, there's plenty of intelligent people buying this stuff. They're not just chumps just because they're spending a lot of money on more than you would spend. They are going through the same, I guess, value assessment process that I might do for a $500 Rotel integrated amp, right? It's just, it's the same process. It, yes. it's, it's, it, I don't know. And yeah, if I look at something that is crazy, crazy expensive, like to, I go to another hi-fi store near me uh, called Max Schlunt Kultur Technik. And he's got loads of crazy expensive gear there, like a bunch of Burmester stuff. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I don't stand in front of it and go, hey, Max, look at this ripoff gear over here, right? Or what kind of idiot buys this? I go, oh, that's expensive. That's not for me because I'm not the target market, right? It's not for me. It's not about me. And I wouldn't try and make it about me. <laughs> it's just, no. I just yeah. stick to the kind of more affordable end of the shop, occasionally diving into some more expensive stuff if I, you know, I'm drawn that way, but yeah, and it does come to mind. I have to say, I did a post after I got back about exactly what we're talking about. This, you know, this exact um, subject, and I, what I would say 
um, is that, and I'm sort of quoting myself, which is such a dick move, but I'm sorry. Such <laughs> a dick move. <laughs> <laughs> that thing you said before. <laughs> uh, yeah, really. No, it's, it's just, you know, the, the idea of other people uh, dictating what we, what we sh- should value mm. is absurd. It is absurd. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, anyway, so yeah, that and and also, so I also heard Stenheim speakers in another room. Mm. They were a, a smaller pair called the I've never heard it pronounced Alumine Five SE, mm-hmm. and those are seventy one thousand four hundred a pair. Mm-hmm. And in that room, I was also very impressed with. And uh, on this note, I met uh, one person at the show someone I know um, who is, who's looking to buy uh, speakers and he was actually on his way to hear these Stenheim speakers. He went to listen to both because he's shopping in this range. Mm. So, you know, and we had, I saw him in the hallway, you know, and he's, you know, Oh, it's that whole thing. It shows, Oh, what have you heard? What have you heard? Mm -hmm. And, and he was sharing that. Yeah. He was actually going back for a second. Listen, um, cause he enjoyed these speakers. Um, so yeah, really that's just a note on the Stenheim speakers. And I walked away very impressed. Mm. So shifting gears a little bit, um, rhythm acoustics, R E T H M, um, is another company that has been around for some time. Uh, the, uh, founder and designer Jacob George is also an architect in India. I knew he was, he was in India. I didn't know he was an architect. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah, he is. He's an architect. And um, so he has been working with single driver, full range speakers for years. That's yes. really yeah, yeah. What, what they've, what, what the company is known for. What f- was fascinating about the product he was showing that was called the Arca spelled A-A-R-K. It's another active speaker system. 6,000 a pair and it, it, it does not diverge from their, their tradition of a full range driver, Mm. but he, he's driving them with, uh, well, actually let me start here. There's, it's a five inch wideband driver that's facing forward you can mm-hmm. see that's powered by a 25 watt hybrid amplifier that's got a uh, 6h6p uh, driver tube huh. and that tube is mounted and it's visible on the front of the speaker these are not typical looking speakers they are stand mount speakers but the stand is inclusive in the design mm-hmm. and they, they mix uh elements wood metal mesh um to great effect i think i mean i was mm-hmm. really really they they again it's a very strong design and it does i i have i have seen some of the projects that uh jacob george has has worked on as an architect and i i would say generally uh, there's a modernist bent to his design certainly these speakers have have a kind of a modernist appeal that marriage mm-hmm. of texture and material anyway i was very impressed not only with the looks but with the sound and this this is a fully active system uh so he was showing it with the little iFi pro idsd dac preamp as mm. source 
So really, you know, a very simple system. And again, six thousand for the pair of speakers plus and the that DAC is thirty two forty nine. Yep. So not crazy expensive. Um a very impressive sound. Uh, again, I was very taken with the look, and I will be getting in a pair for review. I mean, I asked this really within a few minutes of listening to them. So, oh, good, okay, yeah. Um, are they large stand mounts? I mean, how big are they? Um, <laughs> I don't have dimensions in front of me. I wouldn't call them large. I mean, they mm. they are not. So it's a five inch. Uh, wideband driver up front, I would estimate the total width to be certainly well under 10 inches, you know, okay. maybe. Yeah. Um, but they're a bit deeper than normal because those base drivers are mounted on the back. Mm. Um, so, you know, it's just, it's depth wise. That is, that makes them a bit larger than the typical stand mount, but it's a slim profile, normal heights. Mm. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I thought they I mean, were quite I attractive. Yeah. I think one thing that springs to mind from you know what you've spoken about so far, and this is not a knock or anything like that, hmm. is that hi-fi shows tend to show some of the more out-of-the-way, offbeat hardware and gear than you would usually find in your typical high street retailer you know, who sells sure. more affordable stuff, right? So th this is yeah. where you go to hear – I guess let's, let's use a, a kind of a – an out there word let's call it wacky because some of it is pretty wacky right i mean relative to the sort of plain pedestrian boxes that i kind of grew up with like like i mentioned before rotel nad cambridge and then you know speakers like mission celestian uh trying to think of other ones more than short you know they all look pretty much they're fairly vanilla and what i used to see in my local richer sound store in brighton is a world apart and still is a world mm. apart from what you would find at a hi-fi show, which is, I guess, you know, why, I mean, these companies probably don't have a dealer network. And if they do, it's going to be very niche select dealers. They won't be sold through every hi-fi store in the world. So mm. it's a good place to see a lot of this sort of more esoteric is a bit of a loaded gun, isn't it? But, but yeah, sort of wackier stuff, more out there stuff, more interesting stuff, you know, where people really... I guess exercise their creativity as as designers. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I I certainly at um, Capital Audio Fest. Again, it's a smaller show, and I would have to think it's much less expensive to exhibit at. Mm. Um, that show in particular attracts a lot of brands that you'll never see anywhere else. Right. Uh, you'll never see literally anywhere else brands mm. that have no dealer network that won't show at any other hi-fi show, maybe team up with somebody in Munich, but, mm. you know, off, off, off brands that are just, you know, can be wonderful. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But then I think the next thing you're about to talk about is a brand that everybody knows, right? It is, yeah. <laughs> it is. Yeah, so uh, I'd heard about, I'd gotten a press release from Klipsch, mm. Um and so just the history, uh, not history, but so that's where the Clipshorns came out in 1945, mm. 1945. <laughs> so, um, you know, we're talking real history here, American company, realist, real history. Um, and they, they released a new flagship speaker in their heritage line, which is called the Jubilee. Mm-hmm. 
they're thirty five thousand a pair. They're oh, they're a roughly let's call it five foot seven. <laughs> like they are larger than man sized. They are so they're as tall. They're as tall as you. Uh, they're, they're huge. <laughs> <laughs> five foot seven. Come on, you're Italian. You're not more than five foot seven, are you? <laughs> My license begs to differ. <laughs> okay. I was well, wearing okay, high heels. What can I tell you? What I want for my license. So there were, these speakers are as tall as you? Uh, yeah, basically. Yeah. Right. Holy shit. How wide are they? they they're, they're over four foot wide. Holy smokes. Yeah. And I didn't know. I mean, maybe I read these things in the press release and I certainly saw a photograph. And this is where I, I absolutely failed in my, my photo coverage. Mm. I, I should have put someone in the photos to get a sense of scale because you really don't get it unless I, when I walked in, let me start here. I walked into, I was very excited to hear these speakers because my father told me about clip speakers when I was a little kid, mm. little, little kid about clip horns. And the first time he heard them and a friend has had them and how they would blow out matches and blah, 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 blah. So I had, a, I do certainly have an interest in clips as a company because mm. of all this wonderful history. And I was dying to hear these speakers. So I walked in and I absolutely started cracking up because they're just so enormous. I mean, I could probably curl up in the horn and sleep comfortably. You, know? you probably could, yeah. Yes, more comfortably <laughs> than on an airplane, yeah. So are these are these called the Klipsch horn or are they called something oh, else? Oh, no, they're called the Jubilee. They're just Okay, saying. sorry, my mistake. If I missed that, I'm sorry. Yeah. I was too busy thinking about how I could make a joke about your height. Oh, yes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Not just one. <laughs> Not just one. It's just, yeah. I, I will note that I'm one of the taller people in my family. Just saying. Okay? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> You're not I, helping. I, I just towered I just... over my grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just picture like the the, uh, the original Gene Wilder Willy Wonka factory in you know, on the Oompa <laughs> <laughs> Just Lots of mini Lavonias running around. <laughs> right. The only thing with the lasagna came out of our factory. Chocolates, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, anyway, sorry, yeah. sorry, I'm, I'm completely derailing your enthusiasm for this. I think what would be a very wonderful speaker. Yeah, no, they they are, and they're. Uh, I mean, absolute, absolute, pure fun. I mm. smiled as soon as I walked in, uh, seeing them, seeing the scale of these, uh, and then they look clipsh. I mean, they are clipsh all over, but like super, super sized. Mm. And they sound, these were in an enormous room. Mm -hmm. uh, and they had them towed in quite a bit because they, this is one of these pop-up kind of rooms. So the walls are hollow core, you know, mm. not the best circumstance. They had them towed in and I just had a ball in that room. It was near the end of the day. Uh, so there weren't, uh, at one point, uh, there were just other people walking around. No one's sitting. So, uh, so the, the guy running the room just started playing really fun music with mm -hmm. like real, like hip hop with real bass. And I, I was just laughing. I mean, they were just so, again, they, these speakers, as you imagine, reach well below 20 Hertz. Um, and they just sound crazy big and crazy fun. Mm. Um, and to, yeah, it was, uh, the, the Rotel Mishi S5, Stereo amplifiers, mm -hmm. uh, bi-amped, 
So, and those, you know, I have to say, so these, again, $35,000 a pair for these speakers. So if you look at them, you know, uh, as odd as it might seem, you know, that is not a crazy price, you know, in the world of hi-fi, especially if you consider what you're getting. And this is a, something about Klipsch. I literally yesterday got in a pair of Cornwall four speakers, Klipsch Cornwall four speakers mm -hmm. to review. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I mean, they... Uh, <sighs> How do you unbox them by yourself or do you get help? Uh, no, I did it by myself. Um, yeah, these are, so the Clips Cornwalls are 95 pounds a piece. Um, very carefully mm. is the answer to your question. <laughs> right, because, I mean, even when I had to unbox the Forte 4 that I have here, yeah, very carefully on the rug, and it, they're, they're super heavy. Yeah. Yeah, you know, not, yeah, they come on a pallet, so, the mm. you know, the, the shipping weight is over 200 pounds, everything all in. Wow. Um, so I can't imagine. Someone asked me about uh, – <laughs> Would I would I want to review the Jubilee? And I was like, no, it would be too frightening. I mean, imagine what the ship they must ship in in either crates or some monstrously heavy cardboard. And how big and heavy would that be? I because I, I don't know. It would be crazy. I mean, they're they're huge even for the barn. Those Jubilee speakers, they're big speakers. But yeah, so I've got a question though, Michael, about the the Jubilee, not the mm. Cornwall that you have in your barn. Slash basement. Don't call it a basement. Those are barn. <laughs> um, not the Cornwall, but the Jubilee. So the Jubilee speaker, do you have to have a large listening room to accommodate that speaker? Yes. I mean, so, I mean, sonically, I don't mean physically. I mean, I could probably fit a pair in here, but I don't think they would go very well. I would have to say yes. Yeah. Right. I okay. mean, unless uh, if you're going – these are very general rules, but um, if you're going to try and put them in a, a more modestly sized room, a number of things would have to happen. You would have to have room treatment. Otherwise, mm. they would just overload the room. I think that's the main thing. They put out so much energy. Mm. Um, <laughs> and they also at least in the setup here, again, it was a very large room. They were very far apart, but the, mm -hmm. the closest listening chair was 15 feet maybe or right, farther. Okay. Yeah. And typically with horns, you know, you do want to get some distance away um, uh, from a horn to, to have everything the sound all from all the drivers integrate mm -hmm. properly. And and this so yeah these this base uh, is it's claimed down to eighteen hertz, flat to eighteen hertz. Yeah, wow. So if you try to <laughs> if you try to do that in a in, in a modestly sized room, I mean you you might have to you know take everything off the walls. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, okay. I mean, I I just I love that they they still making these speakers. Yeah, uh, so I'm, do I. Yeah, and I'm very excited to hear what you think about the Cornwall because pretty much every clip speaker that I've had here, mm. I've thoroughly enjoyed. And yeah. one word, dynamics. Yes, it's just it's just that such easeful dynamics that, and as we know, there is no way to measure dynamics. Well, the Cornwall, the Cornwall uh, go down to 34 hertz, mm. and they are rated at 102 dB sensitivity. 
Right, so you can pretty much blow into the back of them and they'll make a noise. Yeah, that part of that responsiveness and that dynamic, that super, you know, going from zero to 60 in, in a blur um, does, I, you know, have to do with, with, with the fact that these are very easy to drive. You don't mm-hmm. need, you know, 200 watts to wake them up. Mm. I mean, you know, that's a th- one, at least um, in my experience with higher sensitivity, high, let's call it high sensitivity speakers, like 98 dB and up mm. rough numbers, you know, um, but there are a number of, of qualities they have. And one is what you've just mentioned with dynamics. Another is they tend to wake up at lower volumes. Yep. Um yeah, so I, I don't. Uh, yeah, I'm, I am. I'm looking forward to hearing these the the Cornwalls. Yeah, very much. Again, yeah. I mean, and uh, the the per pair price for the Cornwalls is uh, sixty five hundred, sixty six hundred round numbers. The Cornwalls uh, are sixty six hundred. I didn't know that. Yeah. So anyway, let's move to another hi-fi show on another continent taking place in two weekends' time, two and a half weeks. It's the Munich High End 2022 edition. It's the first show there since 2019, I believe, since the Mm. pandemic. And I think a lot of people are pretty excited for this because it is the world's largest hi-fi show. It's not in a hotel. It's in a big exhibition center called the, the München Order Center. So it's, yeah, it's a proper exhibition space. And I guess to describe it to anybody who's never been, imagine two very large open halls or three very large open halls downstairs with open stands and then little sort of prefab rooms built in or dotted about those halls for certain exhibitors. But most of that is, I guess those halls are not active display, they're passive display, Mm. which I enjoy more than going upstairs to the atrium or the atria three of those, where there are larger rooms, generally with a lot of glass in them, actually, where yeah. a lot of gear is on active display. But they are fairly decent-sized spaces. And so it's it really is a – I guess it's the most corporate, I think, that Hi-Fi ever gets in terms of, you know, really putting its best foot forward as a as an industry, if you want to call it that. I mean, yeah. I, don't wanna, I hate that word. But, <clears throat> but it – it really is very professional and it does feel very serious. Um, and it's, it's much more trade focused because normally it's the first day that's trade only this year. It's the first two days that are trade only. I've said in a previous podcast, I'm not going, I'm softening on that. I'm still not, uh, I'm not, still not sure, still not sure, Mm. but I I still Mm. might go if I do, it'll only be for a couple of days, but, um, but yeah, we'll see. But I wanted to talk about some of the things that if I do go, I, would want to check out, but also mm. recommend to listeners to go and check out also if, if they happen to be going. So the first one, let's talk about DCS, high-end British, I guess you call them DAC slash streaming slash CD transport company, mm. probably one of the best manufacturers in the world. And they're going to be showing the products that contain the new Apex version of the DCS Ring DAC. So we've got the Vivaldi, the Rossini, and also the Rossini Player. But I think probably more interesting is something that was announced only this week, is there's going to be an Apex edition of the Vivaldi One, which is like an all-in-one. 
CD, SACD, mm. transport, upsampler, clock, and DAC. And mm. I see I'm a bit hazy on the details here, Michael. I'm not too sure if you know about this, but I think it was it hasn't always been in production. Maybe they didn't always have the Vivaldi one. But anyway, they're, they're bringing it back again for this Apex edition. It is large money. In fact, DCS emailed me just now whilst we were uh, recording to give me the price on it. The Vivaldi one Apex edition, 76,500 British pounds. Mm, so, it, yeah. you know, it's up there. It's pretty expensive. But I guess if somebody said who makes the world's best decks and not necessarily the most expensive decks, Mm. But you know the world's best. I would you know I would put DCS on that list. So I think it's worth going there and and checking out you know their gear. I mean the music they play in that room isn't very often to my taste. Yeah. And I guess here's the other thing about shows is that I don't know whether what your experience was at Expona, but I can't carry a CD or a thumb drive or a record around at Munich and expect people to play songs from those formats. I, I, I would be very surprised if somebody said yes. I don't mm -hmm. know. Like, in, What about in Chicago, in Axpona? <clears throat> yeah, I heard um, uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan, I think, 8,000 times at Axpona. <clears throat> really? Is it still, still, still that thing, is it? He's the star of the show. He was, yeah. At right. least, you know, the way things timed out for me. And, um, I, yeah. I mean, I'll say that some rooms I walked by and heard either Stevie Ray Vaughan or any of the other hi-fi show Chestnuts playing, and I kept walking. And I, it's like, I'll come back later. I just, I don't want to, I just, um, mm. I know this sounds a bit whiny, but I'm kind of so overdone with that. There's an acapella song that's, oh, I've heard it just so many, too many times. Um, but I understand, you know, you can't play, you can't play challenging music at hi-fi shows because the last thing you want to do is drive people from the room. Right, exactly. You don't want to yeah. play shitty sounding music <laughs> for the same reason. <laughs> so so I, I guess of the exhibitors that I know well, so if I took in a one of my even most obnoxious sounding broken washing machine, wumpy wumpy music techno tracks, <laughs> if I took that to Vinnie Rossi, in fact, I have done this, he's played it. He's done. Oh, he's absolutely. Played, he's pretty good. But I think with Munich, there's more on the line because obviously exhibitors are paying far more to be there. They, they're not going to play my stuff, and I'm not objecting to that. I really don't mind. I just kind of accept the fact that the music played at hi-fi shows is not to my taste at all. But you're not going to hear any, oh, Julian Baker or, yeah, I don't know, <laughs> right. just – I guess more contemporary well, music, you know, it's, it's not going to happen. Yeah. There. Yeah. I say that is, is gen it's, it's generally the case. The majority of, of times that is the case. And it's what, what, what I'm thinking, getting to what I'm thinking about is, you know, there are like, I can almost name the exhibitors I'm aware of that. I look forward to going to the rooms because I mm. know, I'll be introduced to great music that I, I might not be aware of. And it's, 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 it's the exception. Right. So John um, DeVore has always played interesting stuff whenever I've gone to his space. Yeah. John DeVore, Jeff Catalano of Highwater Sound. Mm -hmm. uh, he's a dealer, uh, distributor. I, I would give, I would rate uh, Jeff as one of the top. He only plays vinyl. That's, you know, cause he only carries, uh, 
turntables, but he's a vinyl lover. He's a musician, ex-musician, jazz musician, artist, and he's been around the block. So he brings a shit ton of records and like a wild variety. Mm. Um, and it's just how it's done. Like he, of course he plays very good sounding music, but that's secondary to the music. Mm. So I, I heard like Chet Atkins in his room this year and then some, uh, African music and then some new album that was put together by a classical musician that's very experimental. So really, you know, the, the whole, you know, just gr- a great time. And yeah, mm. you mentioned Vinny. You know, Vinny, we were playing music. It was near the end of the day. So we were going back and forth, you know, share, you know, playing music that he would pick a track, I would play a track that seemed mm. to me to be related. And, and this was all, you know, so it's all music that obviously we're into. Uh, Wet Leg, that I heard that <laughs> Wet Leg. That's a new, um, I believe it's their debut album. It is. Very, yeah, it came out very recently. I heard that in a few rooms. Um, huh. Tracks from that. So that was a very pleasant surprise. Um, it's fun. It's a. It's just a fun record. It's you know. It's not. Yeah, it really is. Not, yeah. Not earth shattering or anything, anything like that. But it's it's a breath of yes. fresh air, which yeah. which is what I like. Okay, let's let's move on to the next yeah. one that I would like to flag. This is. Um, I mentioned these guys because. I just bought a pair of their speakers last week. I bought oh. a pair of Dali Spector 2, which is not the smallest or most affordable stand mount that they make. It's the one up from that, but it's still only 220 euros, right? Mm. And I'm going to use this in a video that I'm making this week. And they're fantastic little speakers. And I've always loved Dali speakers. I know you yeah. do too. And if you've, you've been to the factory in, is it in Aarhus? Is that right? It's outside of. Okay. Yeah, it's outside of um, that factory tour uh, was so it was just very impressive mm. in every way possible. Because they they not only make their own speakers, but they make their own drivers, right? They do. The, and, yes, they do. Yeah, and that's one of the it's, reasons I bought these little Spectre too. Sorry to cut you off, is because mm. I know that Dali don't use off-the-shelf drivers, and they're making this sort of wood paper pulp mid-base driver. And I thought, mm-hmm. yeah, that's interesting. And there's something interesting to talk about uh, in a video. And also, I wanted to buy the best, best in inverted commas, um, a f- super affordable stand mount that I could find. And I thought, mm-hmm. yeah, this is a this is a good choice. Anyway, so. But Dali in Munich this year are showing a new flagship. It's called the uh, Core with a K, hmm. K-O-R-E. I don't know anything about it. I think details hmm. are pretty sketchy, but they are going to be showing that. And they are in Atrium 3.1, rooms C112 and D108. I should also hmm. actually just remind people, because I didn't say this actually, is where DCS are. They're in Atrium 4.2, room F209. So both of those manufacturers are showing upstairs in the atria which are themselves split level right so you can go around the bottom around the top yes so this is an an enormous event Uh, another atrium shower 4.1 this time is Harmon. now i know Harmon are going to be showing a um, a brand new i think it's an anniversary model mark levinson monoblock amplifiers crazy crazy expensive like crazy mm. expensive, like 50 grand each. Or I, I don't want to say because I'm going to get it wrong. But Harmon also owned JBL. And about two months ago, JBL announced a new streaming active loudspeaker called the very catchily named 4305P. <laughs> but 
what draws me to this speaker is not only because it's a streaming active, but because it's styled in the in the L100 way. So you've got this sort of, uh, I guess, MDF or wooden cabinet. I don't know whether it's veneer, but it's certainly wooden styled. But it has the Quadrex grill that you can get in blue, orange, or mm. black. Mm. And again, I think they make their own drivers. I'm pretty sure they do. You've got a five and a quarter inch paper pulp driver driven by a 125 watt class D amp. You've got a one inch horn loaded compression driver as the tweeter. And that's also driven by a class D amp, which is 25 watts. Hmm. But this is a streaming speaker, which is, it's kind of weird actually, because it's pitched at studio professionals and home listeners. Now, I don't think many studio professionals are going to go for this because I don't think they'll want the streaming part. And I equally yes. don't think be the home listeners, I don't think they'll necessarily want to use the, um, they've got one of those sort of combo sockets on the back, which is a, allows you to put a quarter inch TRS in there, which we never use mm. in the audio mm. file space. There is also XLR on that. And then there's a three and a half mil sort of analog input as well. So there's mm. two analog inputs. So I guess if you use a phono stage, it's useful for that. But I guess the big draw card here, you've got a speaker, smaller version of the L100, kind of, but it does Rune, AirPlay, Chromecast, and Bluetooth. And it's yeah. $2,200 US a pair. That's uh, Room F106 and also F120 in the in the Atrium 4.1. Yeah. I have to say, I saw the, you know, I, I received the press release for the speakers you're talking about. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> And um, I, I love the look. It's like, honey, I shrunk the JBLs. <laughs> it really. is. Well, I love that idea. I mean, I do. I, I, that look appeals to me, that classic, you know, horn. Uh, it does to me as well. I mean, I might get those in for a review down the line, those yeah. the streaming actives, because they tick a lot of the boxes that I tend to enjoy. Mm. Mm. And yeah. this is the thing about hi-fi shows, isn't it? We can, as reviewers, we can use them as, uh, maybe you were trying to allude to this earlier, in that they're sort of like tasting plates. Yes. You, know, you can get a little sample. And maybe, oh, that's quite that's quite interesting. And I guess you get to see it in the flesh and go, yeah, I do want to get this home and have a listen to it at home. And, you know, in my case, maybe make a video about it or do a podcast about it or, in your case, write about it. Or, again, maybe, to, you know, we could do a podcast review about something, which we are doing at some point down the line. Yes. A anyway, the next thing I want to single out is also in the Atrium 4.2, so that's upstairs. And I think it's in F225 and F231E. So there'll be two locations for this product. And if you're not careful, you might miss it. And it's by New Zealand's Antipodes Audio. And Antipodes Audio make streamer servers, basically. High-end streamer servers. So you put your music on the hard drive, but there are outputs on the back to connect it to a DAC. Hmm. But Antipodes this year in Munich are going to be showing a new uber high-end model which sells for twenty-five thousand us dollars mm. uh, and yeah it's called the aladra it's a server a player and a reclocker so it does many things and if you talk to mark jenkins who presents and well, obviously designs these products as well but presents them he will explain in detail how all of these things work so by all means go to him and ask them and say hey mark I always mm. thought that digital audio was just ones and zeros, but you're telling me it's not. Can you explain to me why? I might get Mark on the podcast actually to do this in the future because I think it's always an interesting topic. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. His new Aladra has USB out, SPDIF out. It has AES out, I squared S out, and it does. Uh, well, I think it, its native operation is the squeeze light player, 
but it'll also run as a rune-ready endpoint. It runs MPD, HQ player, and obviously mm. UPnP and DLNA. You know, if you're into very high-end music service streamers, so that means you've got all of the rest of your hi-fi system sorted. Mm-hmm. You've got your speakers done, your room done, you found your amps, you've got a DAC you really like, and then you're just looking for that last piece to feed the whole thing. I guess you know, Mark is the person to talk to about some possibilities. So yeah, he's in yeah F2, F225 and F231E. I don't know what the E is, but maybe it's a little extension, I don't know, in the Atrium 4.2. So yeah, moving on. Let's move on to some headphones. So we saw in Chicago that Meze Audio was showing a new IEM, and I thought that's what they're going to be showing in Munich, but apparently it's not just that. They've got a new open back dynamic driver headphone. So I think many people will be familiar with the 99 Classics and the 99 Neo, which is a sort of affordable-ish, $400-ish dynamic driver headphone, but it's closed back. So now they're producing an open back version. And I think it comes from the sort of the same mindset as the 99 Classics. It's called the 109 Pro. And basically, it's it's many parts, but there's no glue. So it's all sort of assembled manually using only nuts and bolts. And those parts are made of walnut wood, zinc, manganese steel. I think that'll, that'll be the headband. So it'll be a bit like the 99 Classics, I think. I haven't seen a photo yet, or maybe I have, but I haven't looked at it very closely. Um, but it's a dynamic driver and it's open back, but it's 700 euros. So it's a bit more expensive than 99 Classics. But that 99 Classics was a great old, still is a great all rounder headphone. Hmm. So I think people will be, might be interested in hearing what Antonio Meze's work would sound like in an open back format. Hmm. So I guess there are different design challenges there because you don't have the, the enclosure to work with behind the driver it's open it's exposed to the world right so but the other thing about well a lot of these products like the antipodes before and also this one this meze headphone yeah they'll be in munich but they won't begin shipping until maybe a couple of months later Hmm. next thing Let's go to Norway. Let's talk about Hegel. Now, Hegel, I've, I've been trying to get from them more details on this, but they're being very cagey. And this is, I guess this is something, or maybe we can talk about it in a minute, because basically Hegel are not showing anything wildly new that I know of at this stage. Mm. They've got a new analog preamp and a new analog power amp called the P30A and the H30A respectively. And so they replace the P30 and the H30. So it's more of an evolution, not a ground up, new build although i was emailing them this morning going but you've redone the chassis right and they were like yeah we've redone it i don't think it's too revolutionary again but they've updated the chassis but again this product is not available until september october so you get to hear it for the first time in in munich in may they're in hall 4 r12 now the topic i wanted to bring up sorry it was the idea of manufacturers keeping their big announcement for the first day of Munich, which many of them do. Yeah. Right? Now, I, you've probably, this has probably happened to you, Michael, where you go to Munich 
you run around like a like a lunatic for four days covering as much as you possibly can hmm. and then on the last night you might be chatting to somebody in the bar or you know, whatever on the plane home and they'll be like did you see and you'll be like what did i yes. see what no i had yes. i missed it oh yeah new dine audio floor stander blah 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 hmm. or something like that i'm like no i completely missed it and i missed it because they announced it on the first day of the show and i'm too busy being at the show to start reading websites in the morning you know so yeah. i don't get to catch up and i don't i just don't know why manufacturers maybe it's a well i just don't know why why they want to save that big splash for the day when they could announce it a week before so that everybody knows that that's what they're going to go and see you know it gives them the opportunity to kind of go right i'm going to make a short list of all the things i want to see which is one of the reasons i wanted to make this podcast was to give people the opportunity to know what's going to be on display in advance so it can help them build a yeah you know a short list of products or stands to visit because you can't see everything yeah but that's absolutely the case yeah there were no exaggeration there were a few rooms that i had on a list of you know rooms i wanted to get to mm. and i didn't get to some of them and it it's just you know it's just it's just the way things work i mean it's a time it's a it's a time element, you know, that's all there is to it. Because mm. yeah, as you're going around the show, you might bump into somebody or you might strike up conversation with a designer and have an interesting conversation. Now, you, you know, the way things are exponent, let's call it 150 rooms mm. roughly, you know. So figure, you know, that's it's three days and it's impossible for one person to, to get in every room mm -hmm. so you make choices and you know, in my case i miss things but to your the point that you're making now magnapan did this at exponent mm -hmm. they weren't even listed as an exhibitor right <laughs> and i heard i guess it was the next day so they did the big reveal they did send out press invites um <clears throat> i was not on that list but so i was hearing about it like a day later Hey, did you hear about Magnapan? And people were, you know, it did create some buzz at the show because you couldn't find them. They weren't listed in the catalog. So you had to know someone who knew where mm. they were and what it was all about. So, yeah, it's an interesting. But, um, yeah, because you also needed an appointment to get in. So even if you found the room, they wouldn't let you in necessarily. They'd probably let you in, Michael, but they probably oh, wouldn't let well, me in. Of course, yeah. Yeah. Well, I could sneak in, right? Because I'm so small. Like I could sneak in between somebody's legs, probably. No, nobody would notice. That's right. <laughs> so Especially good. if you're walking behind me. <laughs> <laughs> you could put a whole row of people behind me and nobody knows. <laughs> but yeah, but I guess, okay. So before the internet, I guess magazines, journalists would go to a show, mm. take photos, take notes come back, write it up, and they put it in a print magazine. So the report would appear, what, maybe, a, if you're lucky, four weeks later after oh. the show. Maybe maybe several, in many cases, several months. Yes. Right? And because you're reading a print magazine and this thing's in Munich, that's the that's the that's your only exposure to what went on in Munich unless, unless you were there. So you have no idea unless you read about it months down the line. But information moves much more quickly now because of the internet. So I just don't understand the need to sort of hold back yeah. a product announcement. I, I have seen it work in a manufacturer's favor. So Cord Electronics are very good at this. Mm. They'll send out press inv invites for a product announcement, say at 4 p.m. on day one of Munich. And that room will be packed because mm. it's Cord Electronics, so it's usually something interesting. And they'll get tons of coverage. 
but I just don't understand, and I'm not picking on Cord here, why they don't just send the press release out maybe a week before, and then they get all the sort of advanced coverage that that would give them, say, on websites around the world, and then again at the show, and then maybe sort of slow on the uptake journalists like me wouldn't miss many of these things or wouldn't you know, mm. miss them completely because I've missed yeah, lots of things over the years because they were only announced at the show. I just think it's an old fashioned way of doing things. That's my opinion. Obviously I don't run a hi-fi company. So maybe there's something I'm not seeing here. I don't know either, but it does. I, uh, that's how it struck me as a kind of an old, old fashioned approach, but I, mm. I don't, you know, I've never been on that side, so I don't know. Other manufacturers, um, you know, it is it can be typical that manufacturers will, prior to the show, send out information about a new product and also do a pre-show or before-after-show demo for the press, right? Yeah. Typically before show hours. And that, you know, that makes perfect sense to me. Look, here we have this coming out at the show. It's brand new. Here's all the information you need, and we're going to be introducing it at 9 a.m. Friday morning. Right. Yeah, an hour before the show starts, you know, like that. So, like that works for me because then I can actually plan, right? If I'm at a show and like day two in, I hear about you know some new product that's in some room that's not even listed in the thing. It's like, well, that's interesting, but uh, it it just kind of disappears. Mm. You know, I've got nothing to hold up. What is it? What's the price range? Where is it? What does it look like? All those things are unavailable. So it's like, okay, well, uh, you know, if I have extra time, I'll get there. And there's no such thing as extra time. So I think what I'm saying is, is that I think there's an opportunity for greater exposure for manufacturers who do the pre-announcement. I agree. Right. I think that's what, that's what it really boils down to. Yeah. And I guess a lot of manufacturers who've been in this game a long time are doing it because that's the way they've always done it. But I'm not so sure mm. that that is necessarily compatible with the way the world works nowadays. You know, with the internet and I mean, you know, I mean, I know, you know, going to Munich, there'll be a, a bunch of dudes wandering around. These aren't press guys; these are just people who are really enthusiastic, and they'll be they'll be sort of live covering it on Instagram or on Facebook. Yes. Some of them will be waving one of those little sort of, I've got one of these like little DJI handheld gimbal cameras. I saw somebody doing it a couple of years ago, mm. just pointing at his stuff. And then that'll get uploaded that night. And it'll be like a three hour stream of just shit that that dude saw in yeah. Munich. Yeah. And you, you want to be as a manufacturer, you want to be in that video or in those sort of all, all of that casual coverage, all those Instagram shots, all those, tweets all those facebook posts you you want to be part of that and if people know about that in advance you're more likely to be part of that i think yeah but there we go yeah. for example right so the next manufacturer i want to talk about is project mm. so they are going to show a product that hasn't been announced yet so i can't talk about that otherwise oh. heinz lexenego will send the boys around <laughs> but He's obviously wanting to make a splash with that at Munich in the old school way. Mm. But he will also be showing his new X8 turntable or extension 8 turntable, which has been announced. So I'm not talking out of school here. Mm. And the extension 8 is, I guess, what Project would call a high mass turntable, as in the plinth is very heavy and the platter is very heavy. And the whole thing 
weighs 15 kilos. Mm. So I think if you're aware of the project high-end line, you'll know of the extension 9, the extension 10. These are big boy turntables. I don't mean that from a necessarily from a price perspective. I mean, they're heavy. They're big turntables. You know, they use the mass to sort of dampen vibrations. Mm. The X8 sells for two grand without a cartridge, 2,000 euros. But you can get it factory fitted with an Autophon Quintet Blue for 2,300. Mm. Now, why would you go mm. with the factory fitted cartridge, apart from the fact that it means you don't have to fit your own? Well, this is something that Heinz Lichtenegger seems to be pushing pretty hard at the moment, is that moving coil cartridges by their very design, they generate a balanced signal. Now, not many turntable manufacturers at the moment are tapping that balanced signal. They're mm. kind of just extracting it and then outputting single-ended out the back mm. of the, the turntable, right, using the two RCA connectors. But what Heinz is talking about at the moment or this year, or it's a, it's a big theme for him this year, he's like, well, if we can get the balanced signal out of the turntable and then feed it into a balanced input phono stage, we get a lower noise floor and I guess a quieter background and better microdynamics, <laughs> which in theory sounds pretty compelling. You can't really demo these things in Munich. Um, Projects always have this enormous stand yeah. in Hall. I think it's in Hall 3. I could be wrong. It is in Hall 3. Yeah, it's right in, right in the doorway of Hall 3. Mm. And it's all static display. So there's no, there's no sort of active demo going on, but on display will be the X8, but also the new Phonobox DS3B and Phonobox S3B. That B stands for balanced. So uh, you have a balanced outputting turntable feeding balanced phono stages, and I think the phono stage is also balanced out. So you can take a balanced signal all the way from the cartridge to your speaker for allegedly, reportedly better dynamics and lower noise floor and all those things. But, you know, balanced connection enthusiasts, I think, will be maybe moderately excited by this and probably want to check it out. I think it's an mm -hmm. interesting twist on a very, what's, let's face it, old technology, right? Turntables, you know, there's not a lot of innovation going on, maybe with the Riga stuff, the Planars 8 and 10 and the Nyad. But, you know, they've, they've been around for a long time, so I think it's good <laughs> that... Well, it's interesting that Heinz is making a thing about balanced connectivity. I know Torrens yes, yes, are also yes. doing this as well, but you know, so I think that's worth checking out in Munich. I would just, I, I would like to jump in here. Please just do. To, just to say that I find myself, and, and it is the right, I am, I am so lusting over turntables these days. <laughs> I, I, I mean, it's always, you know, I grew up listening to records, so it's always been a thing. Mm. But it, it, like this is a, a noticeable change. As I was going around the show, I was just like, you know, just I, I was just like ogling turntables, like oh, oh, because they're they're so beautifully mechanical, mm. um, and that world is, is slowly disappearing right from hi-fi active speakers uh including dax blah 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 you know you don't so that you know things with moving parts and things with you know that that have clear mechanical functionality belt drive turn to all these i'm just you know perhaps it's nostalgia in part but anyway mm. i'm just really enjoying all the different approaches to turntable design right yeah i guess 
I, I can I can definitely relate to what you're talking about in being more interested of late. I, I mean, I look at the the new Torrin stuff. Sorry, mm. Thorins is how you say it in English. And I I look at those and they're the kind of the wood trim and go, oh, that looks really cool. Yeah. You know, the, for me, the devil is in the details with turntables a lot of the time because if you got if you give me a turntable where I have to lift the platter to move about to change the speed, <laughs> yes. I'm sorry, no. It's just no. And also, yeah. actually, in a previous episode, we've talked about projects automat a one turntable, mm. and I learned from talking to somebody last week that there's a bit of a quirk with that table because you know how. We talked about how it's yeah, fully automatic. So you yeah. put the record on, you push a button, and it does all the kind of the needle drop for you. If you change the speed to 45, it assumes you are spinning a seven inch disc. <laughs> oh, so God. then it will move, it'll automatically move the tone arm to midway through your 12 inch disc oh. if it's on. Right? So 12 inches that spin at 45, you have to do manually. Yeah. Right. And that's a wrinkle that I didn't know about. But I learned from talking to somebody who shall remain nameless. Mm. Um, but yeah, I thought that was interesting. But those kinds of things bug the shit out of me. <laughs> right. You know, like, there are certain like it's like gapless playback bugs the shit out of me. Yeah. So there are, there are hot button issues that I have. You know, I'm a sensitive chap to these kinds of things. <laughs> but I do find as you move up the range of most manufacturers, turntable manufacturers, tables, a lot of those niggles tend to disappear. And you're just presented with what I think is a fairly beautiful machine, which is equal, well, equal parts science and art. But it's yeah. a, I, I don't know. There's a, there's a definite a craft aspect to designing turntables. I, I guess it appeals to that side of my brain as well. It's not just the sciencey side. Yes, yes, yes. And that price point, you know, the two thousands US. In that, there are some just wonderful turntables in that price range. Mm. There are. I mean, there's just, yeah, there's so much on offer. But, and I think that's also where you start to get closer to being able to match. Oh, God, I'm going to step into you're going, it. You're going to go there, aren't you? No, I'm not, actually, I'm not. No, I'm, I'm, no, I'm back in I'm back in the truck. Up. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not going there. <laughs> I have one more um, manufacturer hmm. to talk about with with Munich this year. And this is a manufacturer we've not heard from for a good few years. It's Epos who was founded in 1983 by a chap called Robin Marshall. And then Epos was sold to Mike Creek. And then a couple of years ago, Karl Heinz Fink bought the brand. Now Karl Heinz Fink runs Fink design team, but he's also been a hired gun for many manufacturers, speaker manufacturers, to design their loudspeakers. So he did the Wharfdale 12.1 that I reviewed a couple of years uh, ago, and I spoke uh, to him about that. But he's, you know, he does his own stuff, and now he's reviving Epos, and he's going to be showing a new loudspeaker in Munich. It's called the ES14N. It's a two-way. It's a large stand mount. And apparently, according to Fink, it's going to be a break from Epos's past. And that's all I know about it. But I'm going to make sure if I do go to Munich, if COVID cases tumble enough, then I'll, I'll go and check that speaker out. Because I think that's, you know, it's exciting when a brand comes back. Obviously, it's not going to be the same. Obviously, there'll be some grumbling about it not being the same. But I would much rather somebody more, you know, capable take it on and do something different if they're going to, you know, revive it. I guess, like... um 
Gunter has with the Torrens or Thorens turntable brand. Yeah. You know, it's really it's injecting new life into that company. Yeah, you know, on a on a on a somewhat related note, one news item mm. from Expona uh in the world of speakers and speaker designers, Andrew Jones of oh, yeah. uh, TAD and more recently ELAC fame has moved to MoFi. Yes. Yeah, he has. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, the news again, just came out. Uh, I heard it for the first time as did many people at exponent, but apparently this is, this isn't new, uh, a new development, <laughs> but mm. they kept it under wraps. But so we can expect to see, you know, some MoFi Andrew Jones designed speakers in our future. So, Michael, are we are we done with the the show talk for this episode? I think we've 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 covered it pretty thoroughly. Yeah, I think we've been around the block on that. Oh, I'm just saying, I'm I'm really sorry, sad. I'm not going to Munich, but it's just not you know for any number of reasons, it's just not going to happen. So, I look forward to 2023. Yeah, right on. Anyway, Michael, thank you very much for your time today. Yeah, my pleasure. You have been listening to me, John Darko, and Twittering Machines is Michael Lavonia. This episode was produced by Nick McCorriston, and music came from Ben Pitt.